before we get too serious, I thought we'd have some story time, alright? We've got no bunnies perfect here, okay? Now this, let me say beforehand that the main message of this book is actually pretty good, but um, let's go to page one. No bunnies perfect. Every little bunny's good. They mostly do the things they should. No, they don't. <laughs> Story time over. Anyone who's had toddlers or been around toddlers knows that that is junk. Okay? We are born with a sinful nature. We are not mostly good. We are hardwired to do terrible things. Now, let me quote, uh, let me share a little bit from a song by theologian slash country music artist Luke Bryan called People, Most People Are Good. I believe most people are good. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. False. No, they aren't. Even when we are, it's often clouded with selfish, messed up motives. <clears throat> Let me share with you from actual theologian Tim Keller. He said, you are more sinful than you could dare imagine. And you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. The main point of Romans 1, 18 to 32, which is where we're at today, is the first part of that. You are more sinful than you can dare imagine. Now this is, this is heavy. This message, this, this scripture is focused on the weightiness of sin. But the greater we have an awareness of our sin, the greater desperation we have for our Savior. Or, or put another way, the heavier the weight of sin you feel on your back, the more freedom when you realize that Jesus can take it off. And if you believe in him, if you're a follower of him, he has taken that weight from you. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump into the scripture. So God, I pray that you would bring conviction this morning by your Holy Spirit. That we would realize how heavy and weighty our sin is. So that we can experience your freedom and your love that only you can bring, Jesus. And that it would be even sweeter than it was when we walked in here this morning. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you look below your seats, there are some Romans scripture journals. So if you want that, that is yours. That's a gift. You can have that. We're going to be in Romans till July. So we wanted to just give you a gift. Um, if you don't have one near you, there's, there's some all around. Grab one. Um, there's some more pretty ones out in the lobby if you want to exchange it on your way out, too. Um, but, yeah, I just want to encourage you to use it. On one side, you have God's holy word, and then the other side, what I call uh, journals, is the Book of Moron. So, you get to, no, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but uh, this scripture is going to show us that that's, that's pretty true. But, uh, no, just you can write some notes, you can, you can take it and spend some time with Jesus on your own, studying the word, getting to know him. 
through the scripture. So use that however you like. Maybe you want to give it away to someone. Go for it. Um, use it however you see fit. Alright, let's jump into the scripture. We're starting in Romans 1 verse 18 today. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Last week, Ryan Graydon showed us how Paul drives home the gospel. And he, he drove home that the gospel is for everybody. All tribes, all times, all nations, everybody. But here, and throughout the next few chapters, chapter 3, it's the bad news that produces the good news. And here, the bad news is that all deserve God's wrath. You are more sinful than you could dare imagine. You deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's wrath. And Paul's going to show us why we deserve his wrath throughout the rest of chapter 1. And he's going to continue that actually through chapter 3. We are incredibly deserving of God's wrath. Now you might be thinking of wrath, anger, from God? Well, let me help you understand this, because Romans uses this word, the same word, and, and talks about God's wrath quite a bit. So, uh, it's not God flying off the handle about little things. Okay, this is righteous anger. God is rightly angry at and punishes sin and injustice. And this is odd to us, and it probably makes us cringe a little bit, because most of our anger as humans, is sinful and isn't right. It's not, it's not righteous anger. So let me, let me help you understand it. So think about this. Your parents growing up, even if you had the best parents in the world, at times were unjust and inconsistent with their anger. Okay? I probably don't need to convince you of that, but think about it like this. You know, you get one day as a kid, you're chewing with your mouth open so you get harshly yelled at, the next day, you, you tell a bold-faced lie to them, and they find out it's a lie, and they do nothing about it and shrug it off. Inconsistent anger. And it says here that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. God is just, and he doesn't play favorites with sin. All sin earns God's just, right, wrath. God's righteous wrath is measured. It's fitting. The punishment always fits the crime. Now, I want you to raise your hand here. Let's all be honest, okay? Raise your hand if you've had any ungodly or not right thoughts today already. Okay, we're not even halfway through the day. And here we are. Deserving of God's wrath, all unrighteousness, all ungodliness, including our thoughts. This is why we deserve his wrath. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to show us why we deserve this. And so the rest of this chapter is like a crescendo. If you know music, it just starts softening. It's louder and louder and louder and louder. We're going to see a crescendo of our sinfulness that earned God's wrath. And remember, the heavier the weight of sin you feel on your back, the more freedom you'll feel when Jesus takes it off. So, 
Here, I need a volunteer to come up here on stage who is strong. No volunteers? Uh, yeah, I'll, Max. Max can handle it. Max! Oh yeah, he's volunteering someone else. Therefore, Max, come on up. He's strong. He is a strong guy. Okay, Max, um, I need you to stand right. Let's go right here. We'll be great. Um, I need you to uh, put this on. Adjust it well so you can... Um, you know, hold a lot of things. Okay, I'm going to um, add some weight to it. This is the weight of ignoring, and it's 8.8 pounds. So turn around. Here we go. This is as easy as it gets, so. You doing alright? Alright, great. Just wait. Here's what we do. Here's why we deserve God's wrath. We ignore God. We ignore God. So, the end of verse 18, look back at the scripture with me. It says, but who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, or ignore the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You naturally, verse 18, suppress the truth or ignore God. That is our nature, to just ignore God. And then Paul continues and goes, here's how we do it. We clearly see and perceive God's power and beauty all around us. This is what theologians call general revelation. Special revelation is shown right in our scripture that's straight from him. But general revelation is just taste of God that we see in his creation and we see in each other. And so Phil Wickham, in one of his lesser known songs, Wonderful, says this, I can see you in the light of a new dawn. I mean, I hope you've had an experience like that with a sunrise or a sunset where it's like, wow, God is real. I can hear you in the words of a love song. You know when you just hear a song and you're just moved. I can feel you in the breath of a newborn. I literally watched this while we were singing as Kyle was holding his newborn Felicity. I mean, he was experiencing that. There's nothing, if you've ever experienced holding a newborn, or, or even more so, your, your own newborn, there's something supernatural there going on. I can feel you in the wind and the rainstorm. We saw that with that derecho, right? The power of God. I have a picture here of the tree that's, that's right outside that door. You, you, all you have to do is walk outside this door and you can see this. This was the other day. It looks even more beautiful today, actually. Um, but over by the courthouse, it just, it's, it's like it's just screaming, God made me. We see it all around us, things that are just, they make a talk, just going, God made me. But here's the catch. We all see and know that God is there. We all see that and know that he's worthy of honor and thanks and glory, yet we all ignore God. 
We ignore God with our heads, with our hearts, and with our actions. And there's a progression here, starting in verse 21, of sinfully ignoring God. It starts with our heads. We become futile in our thinking. Like all sin, it begins in our thought life. We saw this in Genesis with Eve. In Genesis 3, they got it. she's saying, did God actually say, God's holding out on me. I can be God. It started with her thoughts. And then it progresses to our hearts. It says in verse 21, the foolish hearts were darkened. The heart is the seat of your emotions or the, the, the driver's seat of the whole person. But we go, yeah, God is cool, but that looks better. That person looks better. This experience seems better. And then it moves from our heads to our hearts and then outward to our hands, to our actions. We're going to see that in the next few verses in a minute. But this is beyond ignoring God in our head and our heart. This is replacing God with our actions. What this is describing is a term in theology called total depravity. Learning all sorts of theological terms today is great. Total depravity does not mean that everyone is always sinful. This room would be crazy. I'd probably get shot right now. I mean, but it's not. We have some sort of peace in this room right now. So it doesn't mean that everyone is always sinful, but it does mean that sin has infected every part of the self. Your thoughts, your heart, your desires, your passions, and your actions. So why do you deserve God's wrath? Because you ignore God. But remember, the heavier the weight of sin that you feel, the greater relief when you realize Jesus can take it from you. So we ignore God, and then we replace God. This one's 10 pounds, so those of you are keeping score, we're at 18.8 pounds. You got it? All right. We replace God. Let's look at verses 22 to 25. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up. Remember that. He says this three times in here. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. If you want to underline a phrase there in your Bible, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. This is idolatry. We replace God with things that God made. Imagine for a second if you gave your kids everything they wanted on their Christmas list. Okay, it's been a hard year, it's 2020, I'm just going to give them everything on their Christmas list this year. Will you be getting thanks and praise from them in an hour or in a day or in a week? Probably not. You know who will be getting the thanks and praise? The Xbox One you just got them. Or the iPad. Or whatever it is. The Legos. And that would be really frustrating as a parent. You've got them everything on their list. Yet here they are. Worshipping, so to speak. And serving the gift. Rather than the giver of the gift. And that's what we do with idolatry. 
that God is rightfully angry at our sinful replacing of him because it's foolish. It makes no sense. He's the one who gave us life and breath and everything we own, yet we serve the things that he gave us. And so it says in verse 21, God gave them up. And this is, this is repeated twice more in this passage. God gave them up. And this is like God going, all right, deal with the natural consequences of your sin. Reminds me of um, helping our two-year-old roast a marshmallow. So here's a picture of, of us roasting marshmallows. Joy Brandon did pretty well, I think. But Ian there, he is two, okay? I'm holding him. I'm helping him out. If he, go, if he decides to go, no, I want to do it myself, here's what's going to happen. At the very least, that marshmallow is going to be toast. His clothes might be toast, too. And he might get a burn if I let go of my two-year-old roasting marshmallow at a fire. But when it says here that God gave them up, it's like that. God's going, all right, I know it's going to be destructful. It's destructful. I know it's going to be destructive to you, but I'm just going to let you go. We want this. We go, I don't need you, God. We ignore him. We replace him. And when we do this, we end up worshiping ourselves. And when you worship yourself long enough, you actually end up really lonely. And when you worship other people long enough, you end up really hurt and let down. When you worship stuff long enough, you realize that nothing is quite enough. Satisfaction always eludes you. That's where replacing God and idolatry leads. See, God lets us experience the consequences of replacing Him so that we can realize that He is actually irreplaceable. Paul realized this. Verse 25, he kind of sneaks in at the end. Says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. By the way, he is blessed forever. Amen. He like stops and praises God and goes, No, this is what we naturally do, replace him, but but I'm at a point where I don't want to do that. And that's where we need to be. That's where we need to get to a place where we realize replacing God actually just disappoints us and lets us down. God is the one who deserves the praise. All right, why do we serve God's wrath? We, we do because we ignore God, we replace God. And then, it gets heavier, we distort God. This one is 14.3. Math's getting too hard, so I've lost count. 32. Oh, Thank you. Good math. Love it. Yeah, let's give me distort God. Let's go to verses 26 through 28. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
you distort God. Why did Paul bring up the specific sin of homosexual acts here? I think a couple different reasons. The first is that the Roman culture that he's writing to and the Corinthian culture that he's writing from, he's writing from the town of Corinth to the town of Rome, the culture in both of those cities approved of and celebrated homosexual acts. This is not a 21st century thing. Both of those cultures were hypersexualized, much like ours. This was commonplace. I also don't think he's bringing it up because he's saying this is the worst sin. I think he's bringing it up because it's the most obvious. Here's how. Ultimately, homosexual acts destroy God's design for sex and for gender, which in turn distorts God himself because we are made in the image of God, male and female. Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, and he repeats it on purpose wants to drive it home. We are created in God's image. We represent God. Male and female, he created them. And then a couple verses later, he says, it was very good. Before sin ever entered the scene, God makes men and women in his image and calls it very good. Now, I've studied this passage here thoroughly through the years. I've written a couple papers on it. If you'd like to see them, I can share that with you. That'd be helpful to you. A bit more technical than we have time for this morning, though. But I've studied this, and I've also studied it mainly because it's incredibly personal to me. I've had good friends, one of which was a groomsman in my wedding, who have struggled greatly with this. And at the end of it, it just said, I give up. So even though it flies in the face of our culture, the meaning of this passage is crystal clear. And so as a church, we've adopted what's called the Nashville Statement. It's very easy to find online if you're interested. But I want to just read a couple parts of this. And I just want to say very clearly where we're at as a church. So we naturally distort God's good design for sex. Article 19 of the Nashville Statement. We affirm that sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and towards sexual immorality and distortion that includes both heterosexual and homosexual immorality. We deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. Here's what this is saying. It's saying that sexual immorality, sexual immoral acts or behavior, hetero or homosexual, is sinful. It distorts, it twists, it skews God's good design for one man, one woman in a marriage covenant for life. Article 8 says this, we affirm that people who experience sexual attraction, now he's talking about attraction before, he was talking about behavior, very important to, to differentiate. 
Sexual, we affirm that people who experience sexual attraction for the same sex may live a rich and fruitful life pleasing to God through faith in Jesus Christ, as they, like all Christians, walk in purity of life. We deny that sexual attraction for the same sex is part of the natural goodness of God's original creation, or that it puts a person outside the hope of the gospel. See, we need to have conviction on this, but also compassion. Incredible conviction, but incredible compassion. Same-sex attraction does not have to lead to sin. Just like opposite-sex attraction doesn't have to lead to sin either. And as a church family, we should invite open sharing of struggles of both same-sex attraction and opposite-sex attraction so we can help people walk in sexual freedom. This is hard to do. I need everyone's help to help create a culture where people don't feel like they need to just sweep things under the rug. It might make us uncomfortable. Okay, welcome to following Jesus. But there are people probably in this room who have or are struggling with homosexual desires. And it, we need to get rid of the stigma and show, show compassion and help walk alongside them just like we would anyone else with any other struggle. While maintaining a strong conviction that, yeah, this, this is sin to act out on it. We want to help you with that. So we naturally distort God's good design for sex, we also naturally distort God's good design for gender. Article 4 of the Natural Statement, we affirm that divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or a tragedy to be overcome. This is saying that male and female genders are distinct and they're designed by God before sin ever entered the world. Many people try to claim, yeah, God made Adam and Eve male and female, but, you know, it wasn't actually his design. He didn't really care that much about male and female. It wasn't that big a deal. No, sin was not on the scene. God created this male and female distinctly. And then in Article 13, it says, we affirm, that the grace of God in Christ enables sinners to forsake transgender self-conceptions and by divine forbearance to accept the God-ordained link between one's biological sex and one's self-conception as male or female. We deny that the grace of God in Christ sanctions self-conceptions that are at odds with God's revealed will. Again, compassion as well as conviction. See, this is saying that internal struggles with your God-given biological gender can be worked through and overcome with God's strength. And as a church, we should invite open sharing of struggles with gender identity so that we can help people walk in their God-given maleness and femaleness. But again, I need your help. We need to create a culture where people feel comfortable sharing these struggles. This is very prevalent in our culture. If you haven't experienced it, you will soon. 
People are struggling left and right, especially young people with their gender identity. And they need to be set free by the truth that God has created a male or female. And they can walk in that with God's strength. And I want to be a conduit of God's strength and love to you and help you walk in that as you follow Christ. Men, we need to come alongside other men. We need to walk with them, show them, share with them what it means to be a man of God. Women, we need to come alongside younger women and say, hey, here's what it means to be a woman of God. And help them along the way of the struggles. But before we get too judgy here this morning, let me just say this. All of us distort God and his good design for sex. All sin distorts God himself, and all sexual sin distorts God himself. We need to be slower to point the finger at someone else's sin and be much quicker to see the sin in our own heart and life. You know, Jesus, when he was talking about this, in the Sermon on the Mount, says that if you even have a thought that is lustful against someone who is not your spouse, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So can we just all be honest and say that everybody in here, at least with our thoughts, has been sexually immoral. All of us naturally distort God's good design for sex and for gender, but we need to be way quicker to see the log in our own eyes in our brother and sister's eyes. All right. We deserve God's wrath because we ignore God. We replace God. We distort God. You ready, Max? Oh, man. This is the 25-pounder. <laughs> we attack God. And it really is okay if you need to put it down. This is, <laughs> I did test this out, and it is a beast. So if, if you need to tap off, just... Put it on my back, I guess. Um, no, don't do that. I won't be able to talk. Um, just set it down. So, actually, you can just set it down. Let's let's do that now. I don't I don't want your news. <laughs> we got we got the point. Let's give it a hand. Depending on how you look at it, in this attacking, we 
in this list, it starts with ways that we attack God by attacking his image bearers, his people. Covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanders. We all naturally attack one another. Then it moves on to attacking God himself. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, which says, look at me, don't look at God. Inventors of evil, we're all, always coming up with new ways. New ways to be sinful and evil. Disobedient to parents. I think this is in this part of this list for a very particular reason. I think because God sees resisting the authority he's placed in our lives through our parents as resisting and attacking God himself. I think he takes it that seriously. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. But then it gets even worse. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to, deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We even give a thumbs up to other people who are attacking God. I mean, it's, it's one thing to attack God yourself, knowing full well that it earns you death. That's what it says here. It's one thing to commit spiritual suicide. It's a whole new level of terrible, though, to encourage it in others, knowing full well that it earns them death. This is like committing spiritual suicide and inviting others to hang there with you. This is why we deserve God's wrath. We ignore God, we replace God, we distort God, and we attack God. You are way more sinful than you could ever dare imagine, but hear the next part of this. You are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. If, if, that, that last part is only true, if you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I deserve God's wrath. You deserve God's wrath. The only thing that can remove that is Jesus taking it from you. Have you repented of your sin and believed in him? If you haven't, then you are more sinful than you could dare imagine, and you should be very afraid because God's wrath is on you. But if you have, remember the heavier the weight of the sin, the more freedom you feel when Jesus takes it off. So what we need to realize, if you have believed in Jesus, is that all of our sin, all of our distortion of Him and His good gifts, all of our attacking of Him, all the ignoring of him, all of our sin, he takes on himself on the cross and bears the weight of God's wrath toward us. So this is, this is heavy. And so I want to end the time today with communion. So now under your seats, if you want to grab that, I want to read a, a few verses from Romans 8. Then I'm going to pray and I'm going to have the worship team come up. But during the first song, you guys can just wait, worship team. 
during the first, wait till, <laughs> sorry. But during the first song, I'm not, we're not going to put the lyrics on the screen. I'm just going to have these verses from Romans 8, and I just want you to bask in them. I just want you to enjoy the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We felt the weight of sin this morning, but I want you to feel over the next song just the weight lifted and go, wow. There's no condemnation. Because I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we can be so convinced of that love because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. So I invite you during the next song, yes, feel the weight of your sin, but feel it lifted. There's no condemnation, no more wrath, only love for those who are in Him. And if you are a follower of Him, then take communion on your own during this next song. The, the juice represents the blood of Jesus. It was shed on the cross. The bread represents his body being mangled and broken for us. Picture him on the cross. Picture your sin just being lifted from him. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this incredible gift. Sin is so weighty and heavy. It's hard to read these verses. It's not fun to read these verses, but this is reality. This is where we're at as humans. And so God, I pray that your love now, your grace, your forgiveness would just wash over this place. Thank you so much for the good news, God. Thank you that you didn't leave us dead in our sin, but instead gave us life hope, and peace through your blood, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.